This week's Capital Ministries Bible Study from President and Founder Ralph Drawlinger for the week of November 26, 2018, is entitled, Are You a Good Steward of Your Heart? Our introduction is as follows. The Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible that are translated into the English word heart are intended by Bible translators to communicate the center of a person's activations, those activities, if you will, of his emotions, reason, and will. Since the physical heart occupies the central place in human physiology, the Hebrew and English words, by easy transition, came to stand for man's entire mental and moral activity, both the rational and emotional elements. In other words, the heart is used figuratively in Scripture for the hidden springs of the personal life. The Bible writers intend for this word to depict that one who is created in God's image is responsible for and can make decisions regarding all aspects of his life. Accordingly, when Solomon uses the word in Proverbs, Hebrew leb, translated herein as heart or mind, it is very similar to the English word for mind. But if you track with the aforementioned, the word is biblically more expansive, including not only the intellect, but the emotion and the will of a person's inner being. Nous is the Greek word used in the New Testament, translated into the English words mind, understanding, and reason. This week's study will exhaust most of all of the Proverbs that contain the Hebrew word leb. Take special notice of the systematic, theological, comprehensive breadth of the idea of heart as I attempt to unfold and organize it throughout this study for your education and spiritual growth. God is sovereign over, knows, and tests the heart of man. A. He is sovereign over our hearts. The Proverbs serve to underscore that God created man's heart and maintains supremacy over it. Proverbs 16.1 The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16 verse 9 The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 19 verse 21 Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. These passages serve as well to underscore why people take different career paths. It's always amazing to me and speaks to God's superintendent control of the universe that people have different vocational aspirations and that everything that needs to be done in the world has people who aspire to do it and find pleasure in it. It all relates back to God's superintendent sovereignty and supremacy over the heart of man, even in a fallen world in which we live. Worth mentioning here, there is a relatively new theology brewing in American evangelicalism known as openness theology. It asserts that God does not know the future. Instead, supposedly, he makes it up as he goes along, depending on mankind's choices. Such thinking, however, negates the historical and biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty explicated throughout the Bible, such as is evidenced in the aforementioned Proverbs. 
Deuteronomy 29.29 aptly summarizes this point in our outline, that God is sovereign over our hearts. Moses states it in this way, perhaps much more simply for our understanding. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. It follows then that, B, he knows our hearts. Chapter 15, verse 11. Shoal and Abaddon lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of men. Supplementing the theological truth of this passage, Adam and Eve could not hide from God even though they tried, cross-reference Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Nor can we. God knows our hearts all the time. He knows what you are thinking 24-7, 365. This truth is quite convicting, and knowledge of the fact is intended to and should act as a deterrent to sin. God has 24-hour watch over you and me. We cannot escape His presence. C. He tests our hearts. Chapter 17, verse 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. In this proverb, the first stanza informs the second. In parallel fashion, God tests and refines our hearts through the heat of trials. Such heat is intended to purify, similar to dross being skimmed off of minerals when they are heated up. All are part of God's refining fire. The New Testament book of James, the whole of chapter 1, serves to unpack this condensed two-line proverb. Further, in an eschatological sense, 1 Corinthians 3.13 reflects the same understanding about the method and means by which God intends to refine and grow the believer's heart in godliness. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Because of the fallen nature of man, No one really knows himself or herself unless and until God tests, thereby uncovering, the real motives that need be changed in one's heart. Note Jeremiah 17.9 in this regard. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It is only God who can serve us, break through our self-deception, and reveal to us the true condition of our desperately sick hearts. Again, he accomplishes this, ongoing sanctification, via his economy of testing. Again, cross-reference James 1, 1 through 8. It is therefore important that, during times of deep introspection and conviction from the Holy Spirit, in our prayer closets we should not only recognize, but successfully pass the tests God brings our way. Such victories over trials greatly expand our usefulness to God. Show me someone who is being used mightily by God, and I will show you someone who has been passing God's tests all along. Be cognizant and sensitive to his means of testing to accomplish growth. The following proverb illustrates the futility of personal sanctification apart from the previously described means and ways of God. Chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? 
Your heart and mine are too desperately sick and deceived to be able to take a successful personal inventory and achieve in any way God's holiness as a result. Therefore, we should consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, James 1, 2. So to speak, trials are God's way of getting through to yours and my thick skull. The heart is the fountainhead of life. Albeit God is sovereign, but nonetheless, Scripture and Herod Proverbs teach that man remains personally responsible for his or her own heart's actions. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man are not antinomies in the infinite mind of God. The absolute sovereignty of God over the design, direction, and affairs of man are just as true in Scripture as is human responsibility. In theology, such seemingly contradictory truths are known as antinomies, appearing contradictory to one another in the mind of finite, fallen human beings, but not so in the omniscient, perfect, and pure mind of God. What follow are several proverbs underscoring the necessity of individual human responsibility for managing one's own heart. Chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Chapter 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Accordingly, it follows that if the Bible specifically teaches that man is personally responsible for his actions, then someone or something else is not, be it the parents of grown children the environment one is raised in or currently lives in, a lack of education, or the plethora of overriding and uncontrollable social-blaming diseases now postulated in pop American psychology and sociology. All are attempts at reducing what the Bible says is 100% human responsibility for one's decisions. As a government leader, Never lose sight of this basic biblical tenet. Individual human responsibility is a watershed issue in any and every sustainable functioning society. If Solomon were here today, he would say that personal responsibility need be a basic tenet in the formation of societal laws. Take note, my friend, be biblical in your lawmaking and policy enactment. It is the human heart, good or bad choices, that is the fountainhead of life. Heart discipline is a personal responsibility. Both joy and sorrow ultimately stem from an individual's heart, and therefore it follows that one's emotional well-being is a matter of personal versus environmental management and responsibility. Solomon says we cannot blame our sins on another. Each individual is liable for his or her own behavior, and subsequent happiness and well-being or lack thereof. Solomon echoes these truths in chapter 14, verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. 14, verse 13. Even in laughter the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Good, biblically obedient, responsible choices— always lead to good emotions and emotional health. Bad, biblically disobedient, irresponsible choices 
always lead to bad emotions and emotional health. If you want to be happy in this life, live in obedience to the Bible. In a systematic, logical sense, what follows the aforementioned truths is this, the necessity of disciplining the heart with scriptural truth. Chapter 3, verse 1 reads, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 4, Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Chapter 4, verse 21, Do not let them depart from your sight, keep them in the midst of your heart. 6, verse 21, Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. Chapter 7, verse 3, Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. 10, verse 8, The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Chapter 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. 23, verse 12 reads, Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. And finally, chapter 23, verses 17 through 19. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. The mere frequency and above repetition of this truth in all of these Proverbs speaks volumes in and of itself. In the book of Proverbs, Israel's King Solomon is writing to his son, Rehoboam, who will become the next leader of the nation. He is saying, in essence, let me repeat myself and say this in yet another way so that you are sure to get this. And unfortunately, he never did. Let's now take this study a step further. There are two ways to fulfill God's mandate to discipline the heart. Affirming and negating disciplines and putting on and putting off disciplines. Notice these in the following two points. Specific affirming disciplines of God-fearing hearts. What follows are affirming disciplines that your heart should be ever cognizant of that will both manifest and buoy your growth and godliness. A. Affirm kindness and truth. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Beloved, work to be 100% loving and kind and 100% truthful at all times. These are not polar opposites, but rather the sign of a mature believer. Discipline yourself to say truthful things in a loving way. Don't be truthful and harsh. Don't be a liar and kind. B. Affirm carefulness with your tongue. Chapter 10, verse 20 reads, The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. 15 verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Chapter 15 verse 30. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Chapter 12 verse 23. 
A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. C. Affirm speaking insightfully. Chapter 12, verse 8 reads, A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. D. Affirm seeking counsel. Chapter 20, verse 5, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. E. Affirm teaching and disciplining your kids. Chapter 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. 23, verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad. 23, verse 26. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. One of the best ways to insulate yourself from critics is to invest the time in raising godly children that you and others can point to when your personal character is under attack. Why? Your offspring, not always, but generally, bespeak of and reflect one's own character. It is inherently incongruous and difficult to attack the character of a person who has raised outstanding children. Notice that this is the very point that Solomon is making in the following proverb. Chapter 27, verse 11. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may reply to him who reproaches me. Remember, to raise godly children is one of the best investments a political leader can make in his or her own career. Specific Negating Disciplines of God-Fearing Hearts Similar to the last point, what follows are negating disciplines that your heart should be ever cognizant of that will both manifest and buoy your growth in godliness. A. Negate rationalism. Chapter 3, verse 5 reads, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and do not lean on your own understanding. 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. Notice that 2826 states, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Why? Again, Jeremiah 17.9 underscores the reality of the fruit of the fall in Genesis 3. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Since the heart is desperately wicked, does it not follow that you need to train it in God's righteousness by regularly studying the Word of God? If Jeremiah is true in his proclamation, and he is, your rationalism apart from God's revelation could be tainted. What could be more important to a public servant who desires to serve his constituents the best he can than to have a high, regular intake of the Word of God? All of us must be about reprogramming and forever managing our fallen hearts lest we fail to affirm and negate what God affirms and negates. B. Negate adultery. Chapter 6, verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. 7, verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. 7.25. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. 
God made the opposite sex attractive. Such bespeaks of his beauty in creation. It is important, therefore, to discipline your eyes, not to look too long or engage in a second look at the attractiveness of the opposite sex, lest your heart be tempted to sin. Do not fuel your passions. Negate them by disciplining your eyes up front. C. Negate perversity. The Hebrew word tapuka, translated into the English word pervert, means to divert to a wrong end or purpose. A close synonym is debase, which is self-explanatory, debasing, i.e., to attempt to replace a commonly held basis, to misuse, misapply, or misdirect the basis or purpose of something. I do not think that the English slang word puke stems from the Hebrew word tapuka, but it serves in essence to communicate nonetheless. Chapter 6, verse 12 and 14. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Chapter 12, verse 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. D. Negate wickedness. Chapter 6, verse 16 and 18. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. E. Negate drunkenness. Chapter 23, verses 31 through 33 reads, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. F. Negate gloating. Chapter 24, verse 17 reads, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. The study now segues into the fruits of mentally putting on and putting off respectively. Proverbs states that those who discipline their heart will reap the fruit of such personal responsibility, and those who don't will reap the opposite. G. Negate self-adulation. 27 verse 2. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth a stranger, and not your own lips. If you are doing a good job as a public servant, others will note that and speak about it in due time. It only speaks of pride and self-centeredness to toot your own horn. If you feel compelled to praise yourself for some accomplishment, remember who gave you the ability to achieve that success in the first place. Give praise to God and the others who helped you when He enables you to achieve something He's put on your heart. In addition, never share with others how you never take credit for things. Self-adulation is a huge, ongoing temptation for anyone who has worked hard to achieve something. To God be the glory, not self. The Fruits of a Disciplined Heart No study on the heart of man would be complete without, concluding with the tremendous fruit that results in the life of a disciplined heart. A. Satisfaction. Chapter 14, verse 14. The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. B. Tranquility. 
In the following proverb, where each of the two stanzas informs the meaning of the other, the Hebrew word translated as tranquil is marpe, which can also mean healthy. This seems to be a more accurate English contrast to the second stanza word passion, kina, meaning ardor or zeal in a negative selfish sense. Herein is a foundational basis for the fact that the wise discipline their minds from becoming selfishly consumed only with personal ambitions. Philippians 2.3 Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 reads, A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. In essence, then, this proverb could be translated, An unselfish heart is the life to the body, but a self-centeredness heart is bad for your physicality. One of the fruits, then, of disciplining your intellect, emotions, and will is better physical health. Note this parallel truth of physical well-being in the following proverb. 17 verse 22 reads, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. C. Wisdom. Chapter 14, verse 33. Wisdom rests in the heart of the one who has understanding, but in the hearts of fools it is made known. The book of James in the New Testament, parallel to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, wherein wisdom is a central theme. In James 3.17, reasonableness, a Greek word correlating to the Hebrew word for understanding, is listed as a defining aspect of the wisdom from above. One who disciplines his heart to understand and be reasonable with another person who is made in the image of God will be deemed by others as a wise person. D. Joyfulness. 15, verse 13 through 15, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. E. Cheerfulness. Do you possess a cheerful heart? Remember, a cheerful heart stems primarily from obedience to God's precepts. 1515 states, All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. F. Persuasiveness. 1621. The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. 1623. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. G. Weightiness. Chapter 22, verse 11 reads, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious the king is his friend. 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. H. Curiosity. Chapter 18 verse 15. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. I. Blessedness. 28.14 reads, how blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. J. Deliverance. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And finally, K. Trustworthiness. 31, verse 11. 
The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. To the contrary, those who fail to discipline their heart in the ways of God will reap in ways negative. The fruits of an undisciplined heart. A. Pride. 16 verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. 18 verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. 21 verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. B. Crookedness. Chapter 17 verse 20. He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. C. Deception. 23 verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. Chapter 26 verses 23 through 25 reads, Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. D. Rationalism 18 verse 2 A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Chapter 28 verse 26 He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. E. Rebellion. 19 verse 3 states, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. F. Insensitivity. Chapter 25 verse 20 reads, Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. And finally, G, calamity. Chapter 28, verse 14 in Proverbs states, How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Our conclusion. By exhaustively studying and attempting to outline all that Solomon says about one aspect of wisdom, in this case, the wisdom of managing one's heart, One can see by the repetition and spectral breath the essence of God-like thinking and understanding related to the human intellect, emotion, and will. Such a particular study, the understanding of one subject and its appropriation, help us to become more Christ-like. Herein is a good theological investigation that should profoundly shape our lives relative to heart stewardship over a lifetime. Do you reap the fruit of a disciplined or undisciplined mind? How do you know for sure what is right and wrong with your thinking, apart from the precepts of Scripture? Have you yet bowed the knee to the authority of the written and living Word of God in your life? This concludes our Bible study. May God bless you deeply. Thank you for all you do on the Hill and for our great country. This is Frank Sontag.